The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Spirit Matters, where we explore matters of the spirit with leading experts from across the spiritual spectrum, all designed to enrich and enlarge your wisdom, deepen your joy and peace, and awaken your inner connection to the divine. Here's your host, Philip Goldberg. Greetings, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Spirit Matters podcast, where we have illuminating conversations with wise people who can help you along on your own spiritual journey and uh, inform you and make you more knowledgeable. Today's no exception. And I also want to uh, call your attention to uh, the previous avert. It's There's thunder here where I am. Um, I I don't know if that came through. Um, The previous version of Spirit Matters uh, that I uh, co-hosted for seven years with Dennis Ramundi is no longer uh, being, uh, there's no new interviews on that show, but all the old ones are on spiritmatterstalk.com, and we invite you to uh, go to the website and enjoy the archive. Today, on the new Spirit Matters, my guest is Robert Atkinson. Where's my... uh, uh, Oh, here it is. Okay. I'm sorry. Bob Atkinson is an award-winning author, educator, and developmental psychologist. He earned a PhD in cross-cultural human development from the University of Pennsylvania. He was a postdoc fellow at the University of Chicago and is now Professor Emeritus at the University of Southern Maine. He's uh, someone I always enjoy talking to because he's field of expertise is life story interviewing and the techniques of personal myth making and soul making. He's the uh, author or uh, co-editor of many books, including Our Moment of Choice, Evolutionary Visions and Hope for the Future, and The Story of Our Time from Duality to Interconnectedness to Oneness, and his latest book, which we'll focus on today, is a new story of wholeness, an experiential guide for connecting the human family. Welcome, Bob. Hi, Phil. Great to be with you. So let's begin. Um, 
for people who are not familiar with you and your work, tell us something about your own spiritual journey, the origin story, if you will, and um, how what got you launched on the path that you've been on. Yeah, it's always great to start with origin stories. Um, <clears throat> and mine goes pretty far back, uh, really, because I have to go back to my childhood before I even knew what was really happening to me. I was um, observing things that had meaning that didn't become clear to me until many years later. For example, uh, when I was about nine years old, my grandmother came to live with us for part of the year, and I was really uh, intrigued by her devotion, her commitment to her devotion, uh, daily devotion. And uh, I mean, she would be, go into her room, leave the door open, and I you know, could easily notice what she was doing. But she was there with her practice of um, reading the Bible in the upper room every day. And, and I just didn't really know what that meant at that time in my life. But I knew that it was something pretty interesting and important. And so that kind of just stuck around in my unconscious for many years. And and then when I started majoring in philosophy in college, all these other big questions came up and connected to that. And that was really the beginning of, uh, I guess, in college when I majored in philosophy was the beginning of my conscious search for deeper meaning and, and connection, finding, wanting to find connection between all things. And, and then that led uh from one thing to the next after that. And uh, a few years after that, uh, and after I had got a master's degree in American folk culture, um, that was when I, when a real series of adventures began for me that um, set me on this um, path that I've been on ever since. Uh, and that began um, after that, Masters in in American folk culture, but it, it began where, uh, after meeting Pete Seeger through that um, program, and because I had I had done a I had done my first life story interview with a Catskill Mountain farmer singer who he knew and was good friends with, so I met Pete that way, and then a year later, uh, he invited me to become a crew member on the maiden voyage of the Hudson River Sloop Clearwater, going from uh, sailing from New York to Albany. And of course that was the summer of 1969. And before, just before I went on to be a crew member there, um, that was um, that was the moonwalk. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was a counselor at a summer camp, watching that on TV, a small TV with all the campers and just, um, was totally struck by how seeing the earth uh, without any boundaries from space, from, from the moon was so uh, empowering and, and uh, integrated everything that I had been thinking about then. And then a couple of weeks after that, um, hearing Pete Seeger speak to a crowd on South Street Seaport just before we left New York, he was talking about how you know all things are tied together and when you start cleaning up a river you have to start cleaning up society too and and then 
by the and I, and I and I was actually the only non-singing crew member on that maiden voyage because all the others had been invited by Pete as singers who um, would not only sail the Clearwater up the Hudson River but stop along the way and have local sloop festivals where they would all perform. And so to get to, to have been able to have that experience of living aboard a 100-foot sloop with um, people like Pete and Ramblin' Jack Elliott and Gordon Bach and so many others, um, that was an amazing experience in the evening that most of them would either stay on deck and swap songs or go below deck and swap songs. It was just ongoing. And then, and then the weekend that we got to Albany was the weekend of the Woodstock Festival. Mm -hmm. And just happened that our captain, uh, uh, Alan Anapu, was an old friend of David Crosby. So he said, I've got to go over and see my old friend, David, anybody want to come with me? So a few of us went with with our sloop captain over to Woodstock, and that and you know the rest is history for that part. But uh, but that was another experience of being in the midst of a of a spontaneous community of about four hundred thousand of us, feeling that 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 wholeness, that unity that, that um, Woodstock is known for. And then um, you know things just kept happening that that uh, summer and fall. I was living in a cabin by the woods, uh, spending a lot of time in the woods around the cabin, and uh, and also continuing my studies of comparative religion and mythology. And and then that winter, I uh, spent uh, I had to move from the cabin to uh, ended up uh, being given a cell of my own in a nearby Franciscan monastery. And one one evening that winter, I just went down to the city um, uh, by chance, and the city being New York, I assume, in New York City. And when I was walking along Eighth Street in the, in Greenwich Village, a book in the in the window caught my eye. I went inside the bookstore, picked the picked the book up, started reading it, and then looked up at the bulletin board right in front of me. And noticed a poster on the bulletin board about a talk that Joseph Campbell was giving that same night, uh, whose book I was I was reading at that time. So hold on, Bob. My guess, as a, somebody who lived in Greenwich Village around that same time, is you were either in the Eighth Street bookstore or Brentano's. You're, the first one is exactly Eighth <laughs> Street bookshop is where that where his book was featured in the window and. Drew me right in, and it turned out that while I was reading his book, seeing that poster, I had a, I had just a few minutes to uh, to walk over to Cooper Union, you know, which is only a few blocks away from there. So I did that. I sat down in the Great Hall, and he started talking about the the mythological journey of the hero, and the whole thing made sense to me because I was living my own my own version of that and was right in the middle of it and didn't realize then that I would be returning to the college that I had taught, that I had graduated from three years earlier to teach a course there. So it was a just a remarkable timing. <laughs> and, and afterwards, I went up and introduced myself to him. I met him. We 
we had a great conversation and that continued. He invited me to his home a couple of times. And we did, so he became my second mentor of that time, along with Pete Seeger in that um, totally transformative year, as you know, to Phil, 1969, as, um, as many uh, claims to fame, uh, including the collective transformation that was going on at that time. Uh, that's great. Um, and that's, uh, just that's how I, I recall that um, those lectures he, Joseph Campbell gave at Cooper Union uh, was the uh, basis for one of his books. And um, I think uh, recordings of it still exist, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the recordings of it are probably in some archive, but the book that came out as a as the collection of his Cooper Union talks, that book came out in 1971, and it was called Myths to Live By. Uh, great. It was it's a it's an incredible collection of his talks given in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, over about a two or three year period that he gave of the talks that he gave at Cooper Union, and this was well before. His um, his PBS series yeah. with with uh, Bill Moyers. Um, okay, so let's fast forward now, Bob. Uh, many decades, and your new book, a new story of wholeness, because uh, my sense of it is there's a connection between 1969 and in your life and 2022 and this book. So why this book? Uh, what was the purpose? What's the uh, origin story of the book and 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 uh, the gist of it? Yeah, so this book has really be, uh, been the um, <clears throat> sort of the culmination of a, of a lifetime of work around mythology and mysticism and developmental psychology, bringing in all those threads to see how they fit together and how they how they all identify a common pattern that, as Carl Jung would say, is embedded in our unconscious and comes out, to, comes up, bubbles up to our consciousness as we live certain types of experiences, what he called and, and others call archetypal experiences. But um, so it was, after the, a lifetime of work around all of that, um, <clears throat> it was really clear to me that this is a time when uh, threads need to be pulled together. And so, and also that we're clearly, everybody knows this, talks about this now, that we're at a critical juncture in the history of the planet. And I uh, th this is also referred to in the foreword to the book by Jean Houston. I'll just quote a, a brief part from her foreword. She says, um, in the forward to a new story of wholeness, she says, we need new ways of relating to each other in serving humanity. We know instinctively when a new story is needed, when the old stories no longer speak to the current reality. What we need is for stories to be remythologized and rewoven in the light of today's necessities. And so that's exactly what the book does. It, it identifies this pattern that is shared by all of those ways of knowing and practices 
including rites of passage that I mentioned before and, and identifies the three main parts of that because they all, I can go through those a little bit, but the, uh, the, the other reason for the book is that um, the problem that we have had um, for a few millennia really is that we've lived with a consciousness of duality and separation for so many millennia now. And, and we are, humanity really is now entering its age of maturity, a unitive age leading to harmony and peace built upon a consciousness of wholeness. So the book is really about that shift, helping individuals make that shift in their own lives and connect with others in making that shift from a consciousness of duality and separation to a consciousness of wholeness. Because the book also talks about how the and why wholeness is uh, really can be seen as a remedy for an ailing humanity, as well as for what ails us individually. Uh, with all the uh, chaos and confusion and conflict that we experience in life, transformation is needed to help return us to our original wholeness. And so that's um, that's what the book is about. It, it's about the it uh, illustrates very clearly and directly that there is a pattern for bringing us back to our original wholeness. It's a, it's a pattern of transformation, and it's a pattern that unites us all. And, and I can um, say a little bit about how it's how that pattern uh, comes. Uh, has come about and how it's found in all those other ways of knowing. If you um, want me to go on with that. Uh, well, I will. My next question for you actually comes from um, the uh, press release for the book where you, the phrase, discover an inner pattern that guides our evolving consciousness. So I think you, you were referring to that just now. And so Tell us what that means. Right. Yeah. It it is a it is an inner pattern that um, emerges as we have experiences that are universal and that are also designed to connect us to all others, as the subtitle of the book implies. And so, if we um, if we imagine all things in the entire creation as making up an interconnected whole, in this wholeness, everything is so interdependent that apparent opposites like yin and yang, feminine and masculine, they all become complementary, interrelated halves of the same whole, balancing, integrating, uniting and transcending their assumed duality. But, but all of that um awareness kind of began you know it goes back to uh indigenous wisdom traditions how uh, the first peoples lived their lives it also goes back to the hermetic principle of as above so below all things accomplishing the miracles of the one thing it's also evident in um, plato's vision when he says Perhaps there is a pattern set up in the heavens for one who desires to see it, and having seen it, to find one 
in himself. And so this pattern that Plato refers to, it's designed to maintain harmony of the whole. And um, that that is what's apparent in the way the earliest indigenous peoples lived their lives because they observed patterns in nature that gave them the wisdom to live by. And they applied these lessons to their own lives. So built into their rites of passage was a process for transformation that enabled the transition from one stage of life to the next. And anthropologist Arnold Van Gennep identified this pattern as having the three phases of separation, transition, and incorporation. This is a, a ritual process designed, as we many may know, to guide the young person from a dependent state through independence and on to interdependence within one's community. So transformation is at the core of that pattern that keeps us moving along a path that's really intended to guide us from separation to union or wholeness. And, and this, this is a basic structure that is also evident in the structure of story itself. Story is not just a beginning, middle, and an end, but on a deeper level, deeper and more meaningful level, story is really beginning, muddle, and resolution, because it's the muddles or the challenges we face that represent the core of the pattern, bringing the process of transformation to its completion or resolution. And there are other forms, variations, and versions of this. And, and um, this, this thread of, of wholeness connecting us all runs deep in the mysticism of all sacred traditions as well. And around 1900, Evelyn Underhill found this and described it as the mystic way, a journey of spiritual transformation that followed the pattern that leads from awakening to purification to union. And that's really universal, found in so many, so many wisdom traditions. Then 50 years after that, in mythology, Joseph Campbell identified a, a, another version of this when he pulled together the archetypes of the world's myths to form the pattern he called the monomyth, which consisted of a journey of departure, initiation, and return. The hero's journey. Exactly. And of course, he was he was very familiar with the psychology of Carl Jung, too. Jung called the same process, the same pattern. He, he called it the individuation process, which is not about becoming a separate individual, but the opposite, really. Because what the individuation process that Jung describes is about is that that's what happens when the, uh, the archetypes that we're born with embedded in our psyche or unconscious bubble up from within after as they're released by life experiences. And that's what makes us aware of their innate existence and also at the same time enables the merging of opposites into a new whole. So Jung would describe this pattern as uh, these having the stages of birth of the ego, death of the ego, and birth of the whole self, which then results in a deep connection with a greater whole. 
So this is when I put, after many years of reflecting on these and working with them, I got, decided it was time to merge them into one and and identify them all as, as a uh, blueprint for living into wholeness. And that's what the book does too. It, it uh, brings about, it, it identifies a process by which each of us can go through that process of living into wholeness, which at the same time then brings with it a unitive consciousness. And so I, I call the three book, the, the three parts of that journey in the book, uh, call to wholeness, path of purification, and return to wholeness. And it, it's all of that, all those versions, including my latest merging of, the, of all of them into one, they're all part of our essential uh, spiritual DNA and, and, and a pattern that that um, can't, uh, transforms our lives while keeping us keeping us focused on the wholeness of all things. You mentioned uh, three elements. Uh, I notice that the book is divided into a couple of parts, and the first three chapters after the uh, prologue and introduction and all um, are the evolution principle, the consciousness principle, and the wholeness principle. So I want you to explain briefly what each one is and also how they interact, because my first, <laughs> my first uh, thought when I saw those three was, they could be the same thing. They could be different terms for the same thing. So there must be a, a if you will, wholeness or a, a uh, an interaction among them. And you know, uh, so I'm curious how that breaks down. Exactly, they are so interconnected that it's hard to even talk about one without the others. And um, and that's. Um, what um, they're really about. The, 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 I, I do try to show how they are so interconnected. So the first, um, the first principle is the evolution principle. And that's really about uh, how uh, uh, that, that says uh, evolution is directional toward ever wider circles of unity and that in all realms, all things are tied together. So evolution is tied together as one whole, guiding all processes of all forms of life. The second is the consciousness principle, which says consciousness is an innate potentiality unfolding toward right relationships on all levels. But that consciousness is as an innate potentiality it's dependent upon the initiative we take to actively investigate reality. So, so it's a, it's a, a react that that's a that that's um, should be seen as a proactive principle, one that we need to be proactive about in order to to realize its its um, its essence. And then the wholeness principle says that the reality is one, and all of creation is a whole. Therefore, all all parts of 
are uh, all things are part of the same web of wholeness and find sustenance and, and realization through just one power. So then when we merge these three principles together in what I think of as a meta principle underlying them all, we end up with consciousness evolves toward wholeness. And mm. for me, that, that's, that's how they all interconnect and fit together as one. Very good. Consciousness evolves toward wholeness. Um, which is uh, consistent with my understanding of uh, most of the world's spiritual traditions, at least the uh, areas of those traditions we think of as mysticism or the uh, experience or uh, esoteric element of, of the spiritual uh, institutionalized religions of the world. Um, Bob, I have to ask you about uh, the structure of the book because I found it very unusual just looking at the table of contents. Um, you have the typical front matter, a foreword by Gene Houston, a prologue, an introduction, and then a series of chapters, and then an afterword by Deepak Chopra and an epilogue, which is usually how a book would end. But you don't end it there. You have another 60 or 70 pages that follow the epilogue. So why, why that structure? I'm sure there was a purpose for it. It's not arbitrary. So, But that'll tell us something more about the book. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for noticing that and pointing it out. I mean, it, it is uh, an unusual format or structure for a book. And, and I guess my short answer to why it is that way is because it's really two books in one. It's it's designed to provide a foundation and a framework for understanding the title, the main title, A New Story of Wholeness. And then the, the second book within the whole book is more about how the subtitle can be lived out by each of us. And so the second part after the epilogue, <laughs> is, is really is really the um, uh, ma makes the book what I also think of as a do-it-yourself workshop. It, it's so so it's the, the two together, and it was hard to I couldn't really figure out any way to interweave them. So I went totally against my the grain of the whole book by separating the two into mm. different parts, but. Um, but what I figured was that once people are uh, familiar with and have some of the grounding in in that first part, leading up to and ending with that epilogue by Deepak Chopra, who really talks about wholeness in a in a very unique and powerful direct way. After that, then I felt it was it would be easier for people to really delve much more deeply into their own story of how they've experienced this in their own lives through their own experiences. So that second part really goes into depth about um, understanding the individual motifs and archetypes within each of those three main parts. And so we have the, that, that second part is broken down into the call to wholeness, path of purification and return to wholeness. Each one of those not only having 
uh, descriptive part about all of the motifs and archetypes that make them up, but also um, writing prompts, writing exercises, and a worksheet for doing this, uh, you know, turning the book into a uh, do-it-yourself workshop. So in a sense, it's uh, following the uh, pattern of uh, sort of scientific discovery. You have a uh, 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 first part that could be called uh, the part of, of understanding or presenting precepts and principles, and then an applied part, a sort of the technology that follows from the discoveries and the, the insights. Um, and so there's something in it for people who want to uh, improve their their own lives, as well as uh, have a different understanding of of uh, big principles of what's going on in the world and all that. Am I correct? Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that in too, because that uh, I mean, I I like and I appreciate the uh, idea of thinking of this book as a whole following the scientific method (laughs) (laughs) even though that wasn't even though that wasn't totally intended that's that's exactly what it ends up doing uh as you described so perfectly uh (laughs) you know the theory first and then the practice of it uh later and i should we should add that uh uh for listeners um if you're uh, don't be intimidated by Bob's description of this being two books in one, it's still very short. It it uh, it, it will um, conform to the limited attention span of uh, readers these days, and it's not an overly long book by any means. Uh, Bob, uh, it strikes me that most most of us, most people, uh, we look at our lives as kind of a series of events, happenings, occurrences that we often think are just random. You're suggesting that there's always a pattern of connection. How do you help people identify those patterns and why is it beneficial to do so? as opposed to just muddling through dealing with circumstance as they come up. Right. That's, that's really important to point out about um, <clears throat> really the meaning of pattern by itself. Um, pattern exists to make sense of seemingly random occurrences. And once we can identify a pattern then what we previously may have thought of as random occurrences take on really important meaning. And that pattern then shows how those previously thought to be separate random parts are really all tied together. And not only tied together, but well, put together in the pattern that they're meant to be put together, they it shows that pattern shows how they are designed to lead to a really specific, important outcome. And in this case, we are talking about a pattern of transformation. So when you put all those parts together, as we see them, 
and as 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 they're un unfolding in our through our life experiences we can then begin to make more meaning of our own individual experiences rather than as separate um, things that happen somewhere sometime we can put them all together as as i mentioned earlier as pete seeger said all things are tied together we can see that in our own lives in the way that our experiences are interconnected with each other when when we when we identify this pattern and that's really what the um but the second part of the book goes into great uh, detail even and it it is short though too that uh, <laughs> to illustrate how how those um how how this particular pattern of transformation of 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 living into wholeness adds so much more meaning and purpose to our own lives very good um Let's segue, uh, Bob, because um, the book uh, applies to each of our individual lives, but that's sort of the microcosm. But you also address the macrocosm, meaning the the sort of collective uh, hum of humanity in this uh, uh, evolution toward wholeness. And so there's a kind of global narrative uh, as well as an individual one. Um, and you seem to think that we're, there's a sort of evolutionary path that could be identified to the uh, life of humanity. And, and the, one of the phrases you use is that we're approaching, quote, a consciousness of global integration. What does that mean? What's the evidence for it? What are the implications? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's a that's a big one. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, the connection is really important to to see. I think, and and the way that becomes more evident to each of us how the individual pattern and process of transformation is connected to the collective process of transformation. That becomes uh, something we become aware of as this, as we live out this universal pattern, <clears throat> and as we do that, I mean, the way that we do that is is that we <clears throat> we learn to communicate more with the inner realm through whatever kind of personal practice we might take on that works for us, and through that. Uh, greater, deeper, ongoing communication with our own inner realm, that that um, leads us to an eternal realm that bursts forth at the same time from our unconscious. And that gives us, both of those together, give us a timeless understanding that countless others have experienced before us. And so it's that universality and that timelessness of the pattern itself that helps us recognize simultaneously that the goal of this process of remembering our unitive consciousness, it's not about an escape from the world or even union with the creator, but it's, it's more about the fullest possible spiritual development through our own work in the world that, that we can offer. So, 
So as we live into this wholeness and share our own story of this experience with each other, we, we will connect the human family one story at a time. And, that, and that's where the subtitle comes in about how we recognize that in identifying this pattern in our own life, and especially when we share our stories with others in a person to person or or a person <clears throat> within a group, whatever that might be, as that happens, there's no way to avoid feeling closer and, and more deeply bound, bonded with the other people that that story is being shared with. And it's through that experience that we connect the human family one story at a time. So it, it's really about that process of, of, of recognizing how the two are interconnected and um, what was the second part of your question? <laughs> did, I, did I get to it or not? The uh, consciousness of global integration. Uh, what is what's the evidence for it? And and um, uh, is this something that's inevitable, or is it something we have to make happen? That I, I'm asking a new question as well. Okay. Yeah. No. That it, it, and uh, the, so the answer to that is it's both at the same time. It's, it's um, I do happen to think it's inevitable going back to the to the evolution principle. There is a there is a purpose, a direction and a design to evolution. And I do believe that we are being guided toward a, a consciousness of wholeness that that um, that consciousness evolves toward wholeness. So therefore, uh, and, and we're seeing so many signs of that. Um, <clears throat> we, we're becoming more sensitive to <clears throat> facts like the United Nations, which has been around for 78, 80 years now almost, that, um, <clears throat> that started out with a great uh, vision and goal, but it hasn't, but over those many, many decades, hasn't reached its potential yet. I think that's a kind of a an awareness that's growing. Many, many people around the world are, are recognizing that and, and that many are already talking about ways to either um, uh, improve, refocus, or redesign the United, the United Nations or something like that. And so there's literally hundreds or thousands of large and small organizations and groups and communities of communities of, of engagement that are carrying out their own work in the world to bring about the kind of thing that the United Nations hasn't been able to yet. And so it's a process that's unfolding. We don't, I happen to believe that it is inevitable, but none of us can say or know when we will reach that goal that we, all of us who are thinking along those lines have, because it does depend on each of us playing our role in whatever way we, whatever ways we have in the world to um, first understand our own story of wholeness and then share that with others. And as we do that, um, that's what not only grows that process and the people involved in it. That's what 
moves the uh, the process as a whole further along toward that goal. So, so it's really about um, one of the things I also like to think about is um, if if we were if we're asked what is the sacred activism of our time, it would have to be something like love in action, you know, love expressed in every relationship that we that all of us have. So that's the kind of thing that will um, not only keep the process going and toward its goal on a on a smooth keel, but will also at the same time, um, you know, actually move us toward that. So so it's really about the 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 other piece about how or when it, it will happen is about what each of us do in our role to play that we have to to make it happen and you know through our own ways that we have access to you know, the evolution of consciousness that you refer to that is um uh manifest in each of our lives through what we think of as the the spiritual um journey um the 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 classic uh description of of that is that um seeing things uh seeing separation and difference um segmentation uh is a trick of the the senses and the mind uh that uh in in india would be called maya the 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 uh the trickery <laughs> the magic trick that obscures the reality of oneness and unity and wholeness uh be, because the obvious perception is of separation uh and the perhaps this is what you call the process of purification the the cleansing of the uh lenses of perception in with spiritual practice reveals the inherent unity and oneness but that's that's a, a usually involves some work and some practice and is uh the the big challenge of the spiritual life because the oneness is invisible and, and the separation is quite visible on the surface. So how does that happen? It, it's one thing on an individual level. And I agree with you that more and more people are moving in that direction because, you know, uh, than would have been the case in the past. Um, how does, how does, how does it happen on the collective level? And what um, can we do to facilitate that, given the urgency of uh, what a uh, segmented vision of humanity and the, the tribalism that results from that uh, uh, is uh, threatening us at the moment. Yeah, that, that's great, Phil. I, I really like the way you put that, the way you framed that whole thing, because it really is the... Um, the separation that we see all around us is really an illusion, as you said. And our challenge has forever, I mean, 
you know, the, the book goes into a little bit about our fall from wholeness as, as that, as we can see that maybe happening in the Garden of Eden and in other stories like Pandora's Box, there was a clear fall from wholeness, which, which at the same time created that illusion of separation that we've been living with for millennia now. Uh, but um, to begin to turn that around and to, and to come back to, uh, and you're also right about the path of purification, that is what is required on both an individual and a collective level for us individually and collectively as humanity to go through that uh, path of purification in the way that you just described, to uh, to be able to turn things around and complete our return to wholeness. I also happen to think of the whole process of evolution seen or, or writ large uh, over our existence. I see that as a process of having been created in wholeness, having separated ourselves from it. And the third part of that is returning to that innate wholeness that we left behind many uh, many millennia ago. So the, so the way that's gonna happen on a collective level can be put either, and maybe at the same time, both simply and very complicatedly by saying it's about how we see reality. And this is what, uh, one of the things that Deepak Chopra talks about in the in the afterward to the book, with his perspective on wholeness, I mean he he just says wholeness is all there is, and if we and a lot more along with that, if we think of wholeness as all there is, then why would we want to be stuck on the separation that we seem to be uh, that 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 seems to be taking up most of our energy in this lifetime, if we could get beyond that illusion of separation and, and recognize the reality of wholeness, our lives would be so much easier than we've been making them for the last few millennia. Uh, but that's a, big, that's a big leap of consciousness that's required by us individually and collectively to, to shift our understanding of reality around completely. So if that is what's required, uh, the skeptical person would say, you're speaking to a certain segment of the population who's already open to this idea, is already you know, actively engaged in the spiritual path, reads books like this, um, and attends workshops, you know, and, and is... Uh, on the sort of cutting edge of uh, the the of those who want the world to be a better place, who recognize that it's uh, an in, so-called inside job, that there's work to be done uh, on the interior level, not just the outer level. How many people have to uh, wake up to a vision of wholeness? before it has a, a an impact on the you know front pages of the world <laughs> and the events of the world yeah that's a really great question and i think there are some people who are thinking a lot 
about that, specifically the number that's required for that to happen. And so there's a there's kind of a debate going on now about that number. And I don't know exactly what the what the range of numbers are within you know around that debate. And and I I mean I you know we've heard uh, I mean again I'm uh, not um, that focused on the number piece itself to even uh, but both but but within that um, conversation where there is discussion about the number and and quite a range between the number both sides of that discussion sort of agree that the number needed for what what some people might also call the paradigm shift mm -hmm. is, is a lot smaller than we might imagine mm -hmm. whatever whatever that number is i mean some some put it at a a really minuscule per, part of 1% you know less than one others put it at um you know anywhere from maybe i don't know what what is 10% or 15 20% whatever it is but but that's a and that's quite a range but still if you think about um 20% of of um what 8 or 9 billion of us to really put all that kind of thing to, to take everything off the front page of the newspapers that we see now and replace that with the the story of wholeness that we are really living if that only took 20% of the world's population that's not that impossible to achieve the only question is how long for whatever for whatever that number is how long will it take mm. us and, and will we have enough time kind of wasting our time not getting to that that mystery number in time before it's too late that that's a, a big part of it all too so mm -hmm. so, it's about, mm -hmm. so so whatever that number is i i definitely think it's achievable i'm um i'm hopeful that that number will be met uh before things get too bad in this in this uh, world i mean we're you know we're everybody knows we're close enough already with the climate change issues and and beyond, and the, even the social justice issues have gotten way beyond what they should be by now. Um, so there's a lot of all of those factors that are that are already way beyond where they, you know, way beyond a healthy level for for humanity. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, we get to whatever number that is sooner than you know, rather okay. than later. So in the in the short time we have left, Bob, let's begin by encouraging all listeners to get on board and do whatever they can to accelerate the process you're talking about. I want to uh, leave a little room for uh, um, some uh, promotional conversation. Uh, first, uh, and we'll, be, we'll have to be brief, um, the book is published by Light on Light Press. And that's, uh, that's a new enterprise, started by some mutual friends of ours. And um, so let's uh, uh, let's shed some light on light on light press. What, what is it and what kind what should people be looking for from 
that publishing house. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. There are some really exciting new books that have just come out since mine, A New Story of Homeless. There have been um, uh, a book called The Holo Movement, which is um, partly based on the work of um, quantum physicist David Bohm and his concept of the Holo Movement, but goes way beyond that. Another book um, by um, Irvin Laszlo uh, and... Um, and then another book by Steve Farrell, who was the um, direct co-founder director of um, Humanities Team. Those are all great books addressing the same kinds of issues that we're talking about now. And everyone can check those out um, either on Amazon or on the Light on Light website, which is lightonlight.us. Very good. Um, and... I know you're uh, organizing a conference in October. I know because I'll be there. And um, maybe, and some parts of that, it, it will be in person uh, again uh, after being only online during the pandemic. And uh, it's in Maine. Tell people about that in case they are, they live in the Northeast or they want to have a nice uh, fall vacation in New England uh, and want to attend. And I know part of it at least will be uh, streamed online. So we only have a minute or so, but tell us about it. Yeah, thanks. That That is the uh, weekend of October 6th to the 8th. And it is the um, first in-person gathering of the annual One Planet Peace Forum, which will be happening at a really uh, beautiful historic conference center in Elliott, Maine, on the Piscataqua River, right across from Portsmouth. Uh, we've got a, a pretty amazing lineup of presenters uh, coming from all over New England and beyond. And uh, that'll be a really special weekend to, to spend in uh, the beautiful town of Elliott, Maine, with, with um, with Phil and many others, uh, and and the the we we will have a, a live streaming portion of that Saturday afternoon that anyone can also attend online for that part, and that'll feature Irvin Laszlo as one of the presenters for that live streaming worldwide session. How can they find out more about? Yeah, uh, that all the information will be posted, uh, including registration information and the details of the program and everything, will be posted soon on OnePlanetPeaceForum.org. OnePlanetPeaceForum.org. Check it out. Check out Bob's book, A New Story of Wholeness. And Bob, thanks for being with us. Thanks for the great conversation. And uh, may all your predictions come true quickly. Um, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, I would invite you to please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a show and um, tell your friends about it. Uh, go to my website, philipgoldberg.com, email me your suggestions. I'm always open to hearing about uh, things I should know and people I should invite onto the show. So once again, thank you for tuning in to Spirit Matters. Bob Atkinson, thanks for being with us. 
and we'll see you next time. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.